Welcome to the People Analytics and Future Work Podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute, and I'm here today with Manish Goal of Trustphere. Manish, you there? I am indeed, Al. How are you? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for joining me today. Now, Manish, you have been in the people analytics space for quite some time, and in particular, you've focused in the recent years on organizational network analysis, which is a very hot topic in the space. What is uh, organizational network analysis? And, so, you know, if you can give some context into how you got into the space as well, I'm super curious. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, ONA or organizational net network analysis and uh, organizational network analytics uh, sometimes is also known as social network analytics. But effectively, what it is is an understanding of how an organization actually functions. So, it's a way of being able to, in a structured way, being able to uh, sort of visualize how communication uh, flows occur within an organization and how work actually gets done, how information flows occur, and how decision flows work uh, occur through an organization. So, and the way the way it's interesting, the way that uh, Trustphere got, got started in uh, network analytics or ONA was actually through um, with working with a number of clients uh, around risk. So we were looking, we were working with some very large organisations, and they had asked us to understand networks of trust. Uh, they were being attacked from a network perspective across a variety of different threat vectors, and they asked us to be able to, to build a piece of technology or help them solve which which individuals within an organisation were trusted and which ones uh, they had no information about. So we built a piece of technology that did that and we effectively took that core piece of technology and evolved it into what today uh, is, a, is an ONA platform. Wow. Now, ONA, as I mentioned, is getting a lot of attention right now in the space. So why do you think that is? You, you mentioned risk. I mean, what's the appeal? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's this. I think that organizations are fundamentally changing the way they work. Uh, organizations are becoming much more agile. We talk about organizations going through digital transformation. We go through workforce uh, workforce transformation. Um, ultimately, it's this. ONA becomes an e it becomes an important way of understanding how organizations truly function, not just the structured, uh, not just the the hierarchy or the structures that existed in the past. Uh, we know that they themselves, uh, whilst useful, aren't the way that organizations act. How work actually gets done in organizations, and I think ONA provides a, a, a real sense as to how work truly gets done. So it's you know identifying, for instance, who were the influencers within an organization and how how teams are absolutely you know, actually collaborating. It's super interesting. And it's also, you know, the case where you know, here we are in 2017 and people analytics has broadened in its scope. In other words, there's a variety of analytical disciplines. There's a variety of tools yet. You know, why is ONA uh, a priority among all those different options, whether it be, you know, doing dashboarding and maybe structural equation modeling to do, you know, linkage between uh, employee experience and business value. Why is ONA, uh, should it be elevated to a high, if not the highest priority in a people analytics agenda? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think for, for organizations, particularly large organizations, one of the biggest issues that anybody who is managing um, that workforce 
uh, has is really understanding how the organization works. I mean, you know, one of my favorite my favorite movies is, is Moneyball. And in, in many ways, it's, it's a little bit like that, being able to understand how an organization works based on metrics and numbers uh, becomes really important. And that, that sort of supports the whole people analytics uh, thesis. If you look at what ONA is, ONA is part of that overall infra or infrastructure or as part of that overall sort of um, mosaic is all about understanding individual behaviors, individual behaviors and team behaviors. And the reason I think it becomes really important for ONA uh, to be elevated right now is if you're looking to doing any sort of uh, workforce transformation or you're looking at any level of digital transformation, whether it be better understanding your customers or better understanding your the way that your teams are, are interacting with one another, better understanding who your real influences are or who the stars are within your organization or who the high potentials are, being able to do that using data becomes much more powerful and much more objective than doing it simply uh, using uh, sim simply using uh, intuition. Now you're starting to touch on this. You know, what ultimately is the the business case for mm. ONA? It is if someone is saying, "Hey, I've heard about this. It's, it makes sense." You know, doing this relational analytics, I can see how it could add value, but it the end of the day, maybe the leaders that are going to be writing the check uh, don't have a clear understanding of the business impact. Can, what would you advise to tell that story and build that business case? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, our the way that we've taken the our overall thesis around this has, is around applied analytics. So applied analytics means it's got to be outcome driven and it's got to be useful. So doing analytics for the sake of analytics is interesting. Doing analytics for the sake of making a business impact is powerful. So a large a large number of our use cases are, are, are very much outcome driven. Um, the, a couple of really simple cases that uh, that clients of ours have found it, uh, have found. Um, themselves being able to use as a basis for building an ROI or demonstrating returns uh, on the investment in technology are, are around three things. One is around um, identifying influences or hidden influences or hidden stars. Second one's around transitions, being able to really um, help understand, you know, how do you actually make transitions and improve the, improve the speed of onboarding for new staff. Um, and the third one is really about leveraging effectively the social capital, the collective social capital of the organization. And let me, and if I want to just touch on that for a second, I think one of the things that we all recognize is that in business, it's not just what you know, but also who you know that matters. And in many ways, when we talk about organizations and we talk about uh, their value, or we talk about, uh, you know, we talk about individuals and how valuable they are to an organization, often we say, hey, you know, John's really well connected or Al is incredibly well connected, but no one to date has put any real um, scalable science behind it. There's a number of academics, I believe, uh, well, I know who have put a lot of work into understanding the value of networks, but nobody to date has actually put a level of science at, at scale to be able to do this for an organization. And that to a large extent is what we're doing. But coming back to the use cases, those sort of three use cases are really important as, as being able to build, uh, you know, build a case for how and why you use ONA. And what we're also finding is that clients of us um, often want to get started using ONA, and as they as they start to use ONA, they start to use the um, the network or understanding of the network in ways that uh, we sometimes had not even realized. Now, 
What I'm hearing is that leaders ultimately can more consciously manage their organization, invest in the people and in the processes that are going to drive value, whether that be derived through business continuity by team cohesiveness. Um, and ultimately, given that organizations are fluid over time and there's mergers, acquisitions, uh, there's downsizings on occasion, it seems like ONA can help with all those transformations over time. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, the modern the modern enterprise, um, and particularly one that's that's geographically dispersed, um, and you know, it, it's it's relatively large, is very difficult for an individual, uh, for any individual or a team to fully comprehend. I guess uh, the way that we like to position uh, what TrustFair does is it's almost like an MRI for the organization. Mm. So you can see how the organization is actually flowing and how it works, and you can then use it, as you were describing, to do, do a couple, a number of interventions to see how changes can be made, and you can then see once again how that organization is now flowing, how information is now flowing across that organization, and what impact it had uh, on the on organizational performance and organizational effectiveness. Got it. Now, if we can take a a step uh, down, if you will, into the Ooh. the weeds. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, how does this happen? Uh, where is the data coming from? And yeah, we can start there. Yeah. Right. So, so our approach to ONA is what we'd call observed ONA. And observed ONA is this: we look at email, we look at uh, at communication flows. So email, voice, IM. Uh, Etc. So uh, you know, social, uh, social, internal social network uh, traffic. What we're able to do is understand through the communication flows that are occurring in an organization how an organization actually works. So what we're doing is really, you know, if we if we look at it, if you look at it, we're taking simply the metadata, which means we don't look at content, we never analyze content by design, uh, we don't even look at subject lines or IM. Uh, messages. What we're understanding is the interactions that are going on between individuals uh, and between teams within an organization. And that's how we get our fundamental data. Um, and again, ONA, ONA, if you look at observed ONA, a number of academics have been, uh, you know, do have been um, sort of working around observed, have been working around ONA for a number of years. The difference is we're applying technology in a way to benignly understand what's going on, so gather that data, put it through our analytics engine, and then push the data back out into useful ways of being able to understand how the organization's working. Got it. So if I can replay that, you're taking data that's based on employee activity. And so what they're actually doing and saying, as opposed to what they might report uh, in a survey where that would be, you know, maybe about the should, you know, about what they want to hear as opposed to how they're really thinking or feeling. Absolutely. I mean, the way we the way we describe that is uh, surveys are great at telling you what people feel. What we're doing is showing you what people are doing. So at the end of the day, we're, we're giving you an understanding of, of behaviors. And I think there's one point I would like to make, which is, you know, we make a big distinction between connections and relationships. Mm. And, um, you know, connections, if you think about LinkedIn, um, most of your audience will be on LinkedIn. Most people will have somewhere between 500 and uh, 1,500, uh, you know, sort of contacts. Think about how many of those are those connections are real relationships. So there's a small number of those that are relationships. And effectively what we're doing at Trustfair is distinguishing between mere connections 
and real relationships. And we're doing that by observing the way that people are communicating. So it's not just frequency of communication, but really understanding the the way the way and the and the uh, the way and the mode in which they're communicating. So to to put a little sorry to put a little color on that, we look at things like how long have I known you? How frequently do we correspond? Do you write to me when I write to you? How quickly do you respond? Are you in, in an email? Are you in the two or the CC or the BCC lines and, and things like that? So we pick up a bunch of uh, interesting pieces around without listening, without uh, analyzing the content, without looking at subjects. So not listening to what people are talking about, but just understanding the way in which they're uh, interacting gives us a, a significant amount of insight into whether there's a relationship between someone or not. Got it. And you know, it begs the question, uh, you know, how does this uh, respect an individual's privacy and uh, not affect their day-to-day -day behavior if they feel like they're being watched? Uh, do you see uh, any data being skewed? I mean, what, at the, uh, just to make it more simple, you know, is there a creepiness, creepiness factor that you yeah. are seeing? And you know, what's your view on that? Yeah. So, I mean, when when we talk to clients, generally speaking, the very first reaction that comes through is, oh, this is creepy. This could be creepy. Uh, what's important to us at Trustfair is to make sure that this isn't. And the way that we do that is by, as I said, we never listen to what people are saying. We're only observing the interactions across the network. Uh, the, you know, so by, by doing that, we're only, the other thing we're doing is we're only ever looking at corporate data. So we're only looking at what's going through the corporate networks. We're not looking at people's personal accounts. So we're only looking at, um, you know, for example, uh, if it was, you know, if the if the organisation was GE, it would we'd only be looking at GE.com. We wouldn't be looking at. Um, so we're looking at emails from GE.com. Uh, we wouldn't be looking at um, people's personal emails. And again, we're only looking at corporate infrastructure. So generally speaking, in most uh, in, in most organizations, um, you know, the, the organization has um, access to that employee data anyway, that, that communication data anyway. By not looking at content and not looking at subject lines, we're respecting individuals' privacies. Uh, individuals' privacy. Coming back to one other point that you did make, which is interesting, um, do we ever notice that when people know that it's being turned on, that their behaviors change? Uh, sometimes known as the Hawthorne effect. Sometimes we see a little bit of that, but the way that the algorithms have been set up is we're looking at conversations. So even if someone was trying to game the system or change their behavior or modify their behavior, uh, it doesn't, uh, this, because it requires two-way communication uh, that's going on, it's much more difficult for someone to gain the system. Got it. And I'm writing my own narrative here, but tell me if I'm wrong. This mm -hmm. is of particular value to larger enterprises or does yeah, size really matter here? So what we find is this, there, um, obviously, obviously the problems that we resolve with from ONA magnify at scale. So they intensify at scale. So the larger the organization, um, the, the bigger, uh, the, the more impact we can have. However, we're finding, and so our, our largest, the largest clients that we've dealt with, uh, you know, are over, over several hundred thousand employees. Um, what we do find though, is even organizations as small as sort of 500 to 1,000 employees um, start to feel the benefit of this, particularly if in, in some of the smaller organizations, if they're geographically dispersed. Because you don't, because increasingly teams that are working together aren't all co-located, 
And because they're not co-located, there's an increasing dependence on digital, uh, digital communication to foster collaboration. And again, we're looking at this from both an egocentric perspective, so an individual's perspective, or from a network perspective, so from a team uh, perspective. So we can see both views on that. Got it. And I'm going to toggle just a, a little bit, if if I may, because one of uh, the themes Josh Burson has been putting forth, and it's something that you know, I have been uh, strongly emphasizing over the years as well, is that you know, what's the value proposition for the employees themselves? If they're providing this data for organizational benefit, uh, how can they benefit as a result? Now, obviously, an organization's talent strategy can be improved to elevate the employee experience and a number of things. And if that's the case, great. But are you either delivering or working to deliver a value proposition at uh, more micro levels, whether that be at the team level or you know, individual level? Because again, you know, yep. what, what's the incentive uh, if there is one for employees to be authentic and, and fearless when they're you know, corresponding uh, internally? Yeah. No. Look, I mean, uh, you know, I'm glad you raised that. For us, democratizing this data is as important as allowing it or enabling it to be used for workforce planning. So from a, from and you know we we have tools and we have tools and technology that's designed specifically to allow people to manage their relationships better. If you think about this for most sales and business development people in particular, they're manage they tend to forget more people than they remember. Mm -hmm. What we've built is we've built tools which help them manage their networks uh, much more effectively, their work networks, which allow them to actually perform their duties and their 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 roles and their responsibilities much better than they would um, without the technology. A lot of you know some of the the theory behind our technologies. Um, are you familiar with the Dunbar number? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so you know the Dunbar number of 150, which effectively, which really is, it, it really, it's a, for those of you who don't know the Dunbar number, there was an anthropologist named um, Professor Robin Dunbar, and what he did is some work around around different communities. What he recognised was that the human neocortex can handle only a certain number of relationships at any one point in time, and that number, of, without going into the long story, uh, worked out to be around 150. In fact, the mean was about 100, was 148, and the range was between around 100 and 220. But the the and the mean was 148. It's been rounded to 150. In many ways, we see that um, our technology is a way of augmenting. Um, you know, for an individual, particularly in you know fast moving and you know with, with modern communications, velocity of you know the velocity around relationships and the sheer breadth of relationships people need to manage has increased. The, you know, our technology is there to help augment that. And coming back to your point around you know uh, you know allow enabling individuals, it's at the centre of our um, overall philosophy, which is allow individual give give the individuals tools that allow them to do their job better and as an uh, you know almost like call it like a fitbit if you will for uh, for individual employees around their relationships which then allows um, the organization to also be able to, to make macro decisions around what's happening because it's it's a relationships for an organization are a collective asset yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's even though it has been an asset, uh, it has not been measured, nor has it been managed effectively in, in the past. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you know, the analogy I like to give on that is, I mean, in terms of in terms of measurement, it's a little bit like the weather. I mean, what's the what's the weather today in San Francisco? It's it's going to be warm and sunny. Uh, and what's the weather in London, where where I am right now? Cold and miserable. 
right? Uh, that's nice, but we can't compare and contrast that. Now, the moment I can say it's 75 degrees in um, 75 degrees in San Francisco and it's 68 degrees here in, in London, now we can compare and contrast it. So by being able to measure uh, relationships, we can compare and contrast, plus we can also uh, provide a level of longitudinal or, or sort of time-based analysis so we can see and compare uh, how this works, how relationships change and evolve over time. Right, and uh, I appreciate you using Fahrenheit there. That was uh, that was well done. That, <laughs> that was, was a stretch. Of, that was a stretch. Yeah, I, I, you did well. You did well. <laughs> um, so, at the end of it, it if I am uh, an employee, if I am a manager, and I have uh, my intent to prioritize these 20 relationships because they're going to help me get my job done, advance my career, and all these good things, yet. I can get visibility through your tool set that, hey, I'm actually not interacting with those individuals as I hope. My actual behavior indicates that I'm only corresponding with five of those 20 in a meaningful way on an ongoing basis. Is, is that the type of insight that's generated? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one type of insight. And just to extend on that, if if you think about a coaching situation, if you have a new a new hire on board and, you know, you've said, look, these to be successful, these are the 20 relationships that you need to build. Um, if I was their coach, I can then on a monthly basis see whether those relationships are being built and where they're not, I can intervene to help make the right introductions, for example. So it, by providing the by providing objective data as to whether these relationships are are you know being bedded in or not allows individuals to perform better and allows coaches to mentor or coach their uh, their teams better as well. Got it. Now we've touched on this uh, in uh, the discussion thus far, but are there specific challenges that organizations have that ONA is particularly adept? at addressing the the answer is uh, yes and uh, yes and no uh, the yes is um it it all depends on the their level of of call it maturity if you will for an organization we've designed the way that we've designed um our solutions some of them are designed for um you know very very specific and and even even organizations that are at the early stages of starting to play around with ona uh, we don't even they don't even see it as ONA. They see it as a way of of being able to tactically help uh, help either managers uh, transition uh, staff in or individuals to be better manage their own relationships, all the way through to um, sort of very large uh, sort of large scale mergers and acquisitions, for example, being able to understand who who the uh, you know who to keep, who who should be driving the key relationships for the organization uh, with clients, et cetera. Around an M and A, so uh, you know, in terms of in terms of to answer your question, uh, you know, organizations can, um, you know, there are different ways that organizations are engaging with us at different stages of maturity. Got it. And I'm just, yeah, I really intrigued in so far as O and A is. Elevating an interest, it's you know people are focusing energy and resources to to do the work. Yet I also see organizations you know struggling with um, the privacy concerns and mm. the ethics concerns, and they're they're not like making that leap. Yet the ones that are are deriving the value that you're speaking on. So those who are pausing based on the privacy and ethics concerns. What do you say to them? How do you get them over the hump? 
Yeah, but I th first and foremost, I'd say that their concerns are valid, and they need to they need to be addressed in an appropriate way. Uh, the second thing I would say is that look, think, uh, go, uh, take, scratch beneath the surface around privacy and around ethics. Uh, use the uh, you know in, let's let's address ethics first. Use the data that you have on individuals with respect and treat employees with respect. So, in other words, uh, be transparent about the use of uh, ONA. Uh, be transparent about what the, you know, where and how it's going to be used, and for what purposes it's going to be used. But also, as you know, as I described earlier on, democratize that data and make it uh, ensure that it's available back to employees, such that they can, you know, to staff members, such that they can do a better job. I mean, ultimately, that's what most most individuals want to do. Uh, they want to do a better job. Make sure they have that. From a privacy perspective, um, it's a matter of digging deeper. And we have a we have a chief privacy officer. We take privacy extremely seriously. Um, you know, just going back to that, one of the things I did, uh, you know, as as part of uh, whilst I, whilst at Trustville was I used to chair the online trust alliance, and um, that was a not for profit that was based out of Seattle, and it was dedicated to the protection of individual privacy online. So we take privacy as Part of, as part of TrustSphere's approach, we take privacy extremely seriously, and you know we we you know, we've built privacy by design into just about um, all of our technology. Um, in that sense, we're compliant with we're, we're compliant with all the major uh, privacy legislation, and I won't go into the details of it. But we've we've mapped it against the EU legislation, which is the high watermark, as well as the OECD legislation and various other jurisdictions. Um, as I said again. We, from a privacy perspective, it's really important at this stage for, for not to analyze content. By not analyzing content, we're not eavesdropping on what employees are saying. We're simply understanding and leveraging how, how individual behaviors work, such as how individual behaviors are at play in terms of how people work together and how people collaborate together for the betterment of uh, an organization. That is a confidence-inspiring response, uh, at least from my perspective. And uh, you know, kudos to you from designing, you know, with that in mind, because obviously it is uh, top of mind uh, for for many these days. And it also, you know, begs the question, you know, is this uh, does this have staying power? Um, mm. Is the legislation going to get more stringent? Is it going to be more accepting uh, given the proliferation of data and our ability to analyze that data? I, what would you say? Is this a fad or is this you know, going to be around you know, five, 10 plus years you know, down the road? Or is it just going to be you know, in perpetuity given you know, the nature of data and our ability to analyze it? I think it's the latter. I think that, you know, to, to, um, the future is the future, and no one can tell the future with certainty. But certainly, what we do know is that organisations are fundamentally changing the way they, they that they work. And in you know, from an agile organisation perspective, there is no other way of being able to really understand how organisations work other than being able to observe them. And in terms of observing them, I mean, you know, surveys have been used in the past uh, to do that and to understand networks and in you know, collaborative networks. Again. To be able to do this across very large organizations at scale um, and in a way that you can actually uh, understand the way that the entire population is working or a large segment of the population is working um, means that you need pieces of technology to enable that. And to a large extent, I guess that's where we uh, where we said, I mean, uh, I, you know, will will this is this a fad or will it last? Um, my certainly my hope is that it will hmm. not be a fad, but I, I also do think that it won't be because I think we're fundamentally working in different ways than we've ever worked before. And again, I'll go back to analogy I used right at the beginning. In in some ways, what we're providing to uh, to our clients is an MRI 
of um, of the of their organization. So you know, in, it's uh, it's it's one thing to be able to uh, you know observe observe different um, pain points uh, from the outside, but if we can, on a non-intrusive basis, provide an MRI of how an organization is working, we can help them. Um, we can help the organization uh, determine where there are blockages, where there are needs for intervention, or where where things are going well. For example, so got it. And yeah, as we start to wrap up here, tell us about you know Trustphere and yeah. you know, how it's unique uh, relative to others uh, in the marketplace. So uh, Trustphere, as a, as a company, we we like to call ourselves a startup, but I uh, founded in two thousand and eleven. Uh, we're a group around fifty people uh, around the world, based out of uh, in in, in uh, out of New York in the U.S. Uh, yeah, in London in uh, Singapore and in Australia. So we have offices around the world, uh, working with several hundred clients right now in the people analytics space with some of the large, uh, number of large financial services organizations, um, as well as a number of other uh, sort of large telcos and media TMT type organizations around the world, um, as well as a number of government organizations. Um, what we're finding, you know, as uh, what we are as a group is extremely passionate about being able to trend, uh, uh, about digital transformation and workplace transformation. Um, you know, we're uh, again, uh, a number of, uh, you know, good, a smart data science team that works on a set of algorithms that allow, uh, allow our technology to, uh, you know, to be, to be meaningful and useful together with a set of technologists who are, who are practitioners in many ways, who are looking for how do we make the how do we make the uh, technology that we have a that we have available useful back to our clients. Got it. And you've you know, evolved with that value proposition to become one of the leading players in the ONA space. And how did that evolve? Uh, you know, I imagine you know over the six seven years it was a right out of the gate and you just ran super fast or did it take a while to <laughs> chop wood and uh, you know build the case? It, it 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 was the latter there, Al. I mean, we when we first started, we as I mentioned right at the beginning, we started in the risk and security space. We evolved, and that's where the fundamental technology was built. We evolved that into the sales environment, where we actually worked with a number of CRM vendors to augment and build tech, uh, build a number of external networks back into their environment. But what we recognized a couple of years ago was that the workplace of the future is going to be very different to the existing workplace and the intelligence and the insights that we have, uh, that we could provide, um, could, you know, to, to, could help accelerate that transformation. And hence, uh, it was uh, hence our work uh, workforce analytics or our people analytics um, uh, part of ONA was born. And again, uh, a lot of our uh, a lot of our investment right now and our energy and effort for the organisation it goes into working with our, our clients and our partners. And our partners are we work with a number of major consulting firms um, around the world to to help transform this across uh, help transform. The workplace, and in many ways, I, I, you know, my personal vision around this is to ensure that we, uh, as we make those decisions around workplace transformation, uh, we do it in an objective way. And by being able to provide objective data, we take away, uh, we don't take away instinct, but we augment instinct with, uh, with data. One last question, if I may: uh, How can our listeners uh, learn more about Trustphere and get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Look for from our side. Um, the easiest way to get in touch with us is off our on our website. Uh, there's a there's a huge amount of information available there, which is www.trustsphere. 
trustesphere.com, T-R-U-S-T-S-P-H-E-R-E.com. Uh, or alternatively, uh, feel free to email me at uh, manish, which is M-A-N-I-S-H, dot goal, G-O-E-L, at trustsphere.com. Well, Manish, I uh, thoroughly enjoy speaking with you. Kudos to you and your team for what you all achieved. And I uh, look forward to seeing you next week at the People Analytics Future of Work Conference in Philadelphia. And uh, you. I look forward to learning more. So thanks again. Thank you very much, Al. And looking forward to seeing you next week. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.